right, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Moho Show podcast. We are now entering into December 2020. It's been a year, it's been a while, and you know what? I haven't talked to my good friend Ryan Bialk in a while. How's it going, Mr. Ryan? I'm quite all right. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Um, it's, yeah. It's been a year. <laughs> it's been a year. It's, it's a year. almost been a year. Um, we've been working from home for the last an infinite amount of weeks so uh we haven't seen each other in person in a while so that's been kind of weird but i get to see your uh, beautiful mug on uh video calls every week so that's been nice and um you know i'm looking forward just to doing some uh interview some um some podcasting with you today and just sit down have a nice chat get to know each other a little bit um because it's been so long i think i've forgotten who you are so uh, i think it's time we catch up um Ladies and gentlemen, today's session is going to be another behind-the-mic session. So if you've been following the, the podcast, if you've been following our show for the last year, 12 months, wild, right? Um, Ryan, Ryan actually did a surprise behind-the-mic interview with me back in, I believe it was in the summer. Um, we came into the office one day and I was like, oh shoot, Ryan, we have to do a podcast today. What are we going to talk about? He's like, Ryan's like, don't worry, man, I got this. You said it in your deep monotone voice. And I was like, okay, Ryan's got this. We're good. We're good. So we sat down into the studio and I'm like, so what are we going to talk about? He's like, we're going to talk about you, Alex. I've got some interview questions for you. And I'm like, oh no. And then I proceeded to sweat my face off, lie through my teeth. I blacked out, I'm pretty sure, for half that interview. And today I thought I returned the favor. So today is going to be Ryan's behind the mic session. Um, Ryan, I asked you to get some coffee and some water ready because I'm going to be grilling you for the next little while, um, just to really get into, get into your head, really kind of flush out what makes Ryan, Ryan. Are you ready? Bring it on. Let's bring it on. I, uh, I, I was, I was happy to, to do the sort of that behind the mics, um, session with you. Cause again, I think it's important that our listeners get to know us and there's, there's the us that's online and there's the us that's on work and there's the us that's on microsoft and all of those but uh we're still people behind the mics and and there's uh there's something to that so i'm i'm happy to share hopefully uh i can inspire or motivate or make someone laugh today with with some of my stories i hope ryan says we're all people we're gonna let the audience be the judge of this one mr interviewee thank you very much <laughs> okay so let's start off with your background, good sir. First question. Your name is Ryan Bialik, right? Yes. That's Ryan with the B for Bialik? Yes. Can you tell me, so you are Ryan Bialik, but why is Ryan Bialik? Why is Ryan Bialik? Well, it's, it certainly started a long time ago, uh, over 30 years ago. Just, uh, just wanted to be Ryan. I've been called Brian. I've been called a lot worse, but uh, that's that's what stuck. Did you have a nickname growing up? Um, yes, different different family members had different nicknames for me. Um, my dad always called me Mouse, and I don't know Mouse. if that's because I don't know if that's because I was quiet and sneaky, uh, or if that was just because I was a small kid. But uh, yeah, and then my I had one uncle call me Scooter. And I have no idea where that nickname came from. I don't Scooter. know. I don't know if it was because I got around and I was quick, you know, quick witted maybe. But 
Scooter. I've, I've heard the nickname Scooter before, and I never got it either because I don't think it's and someone can call me out on this. I don't think it's affiliated with an actual name. It's just like a weird nickname that seemed to be popular in like the 80s and maybe the 90s. I don't know. I didn't know anyone called Scooter, but I remember that being a very popular kind of nickname for some reason. Maybe I just made that up, but either way, it's Scooter's a choice. I think it was like an 80s slang. I don't know. It must have been. Yeah. 80s was a different time, man. Like you're a Zoomer. You know, we have Zoomers and Boomers. Now we've Maybe back then it was scooters. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. Um, so maybe you should start calling. Maybe we'll make a point of bringing that back for uh, the next generation. Yo, scooter, move over. It's my <laughs> turn for the TV. So, like, what was it like growing up being the second, being the second Ryan Bialik on LinkedIn? What was it like for you as a kid? Oh, see, I was the I'm the original. Ryan you see, you, you see, I'd like to believe that, but again, I think we're going to let the audience decide. <laughs> that so, so we grew up in a small town, um, and there was our Bialik family, and there was this—I don't say the other Bialik. But there was another Bialik family, no relation, spelt the same. Maybe they pronounce it different. I don't know, um, but I think there's maybe about eight, nine, ten years between my brother and I and and that set of twins and my brother and I were Ryan and Matthew Bialik and that family again no relations I didn't know the parents at all decided to name their twins Ryan and Matthew Bialik <laughs> 10 10 or so years after you know I was born so it was kind of weird uh, to see your name in the newspaper clippings, but it wasn't you, you know, those, I think those fellows were quite involved in sports and stuff like that. So uh, you'd, you'd flip through the sports section of the local small town paper and you see your name and you're like, oh yeah, I got a oh. grand slam, I got a grand slam home run in the baseball tourney or whatever it was, but uh, quite wild. But no, I think um, then when we, when I got a little bit older and sort of left high school, you know, the focus was on on business and the family business and then uh, ended up eventually leaving the small town. And and that's that. It's kind of a this town ain't big enough for the two of us, Ryan Bialik. So one of us had to split. I mean, considering his name is showing up in the newspapers more often than yours, you can always call him like a Ryan Bialik 2.0, the stronger, faster Ryan. <laughs> probably again he was way way more athletic than i ever was in in my younger years so i mean i can relate because i definitely wasn't the only alex henry out there um i didn't grow up with i didn't grow up with any alex henry's in my world but ultimately i knew that name is so common out there i think there's a hockey player that shares that name but let's jog down memory lane here you're a ryan bialik growing up in a ryan bialik world and eventually you got your hands on a computer so what's your earliest memory of like getting into tech what was like mm -hmm. the, the one that sank down and just said hey look you like computers now you like technology if i had to go way 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 back so um again small town um you know not particularly at the forefront of technology by by any means but my dad we were so lucky growing up my dad was a serial entrepreneur not the sugar retreat in the morning kind but he liked to get involved in businesses and, and him and some of his business partners they would 
get involved in a in a company and and sort of work things out and just for the experience would do a lot of things and so um, over the years when I was young I would I want to say four five six kind of age um, I remember my my dad being involved in a car dealership uh, in in Beauziger and in a uh, travel agency insurance kind of place and both of those businesses when I was up and coming as a as a young one were just getting into technology so they had just got computers and they had just gotten you know and it was mostly computers in the back office uh, for for filing and for uh, connecting with insurance agencies and those kinds of things so earliest memories were you know those those orange and black monitors and command line interface and DOS and and sort of that. Uh, and I remember it got to the point where we were so interested in in computers and those types of things where we got our first two eighty six and that was such a big deal. And we put DOS on it and you know ninety nine percent of the time we were playing fun DOS games on it. But you know you still had to know how to turn it on and you still had to know how to um, you know, read something off a of floppy or copy it to the uh, insanely massive hard drive that our 286 had back in the day. But a whole gigabyte or whole megabyte, yeah, probably. So, so I would say my my earliest memories are uh, probably around PC gaming. Again, the 286 era and that sort of the MS DOS era. Um, but I always remember as a kid when I would be out. Uh, and about and you know we we were fortunate to travel a lot uh, as kids and as a family and I was always interested in the systems that made things run so for example I uh, would go to we would go to say like a hotel and you'd go to check in at the front desk and you know the front desk clerk would be you know whacking away at the computer okay here's your keys here's your room you're up on this floor I was always fascinated by the, you know, like the booking software or what, what was that person looking at on their screen? Or when you go, you remember going to the airport a long time ago and they would be hammering on the keys. Oh yeah, we got you in row 12, seats A, B, C, D, whatever. Um, I was always interested in, in what they saw on the other side of the counter. Banks were like that for me too. Yeah. Remember bank books? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. Yeah, I had a bank book. I was thinking like as a kid uh, watching my parents use the ATMs or the teller behind the desk and they were still using those old DOS based programs that I couldn't really see or read as a kid, mm -hmm. but it looked like something out of Star Trek at the same time, especially the ATMs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ASCII art. Remember when, when a GUI was, you know, and a, a bit of ASCII art, like something like a, something was shaded 50% or it was shaded 25% or it was like a square with some dots in it. And that's told you something was full or empty. Again, those, those process systems, um, again, with my dad being involved a lot in, in agriculture, I was always, you know, we, we would go to pick up fertilizer. We would go to do grain deliveries and things like that. Or we would go to different farms, uh, different, animal farms and, and different operations. And again, I was always intrigued by, you know, oh, I can see on screen, I can see visually represented how full this tank is or how things are flowing or how this grain elevator is moving. And I was always fascinated by 
those types of things, kind of the, the switches and the ons and offs and the indicator lights, uh, but going beyond that to when, when electronics evolved into on-screen displays and, and different uh, applications like that. Yeah, it feels like it just it happened so rapidly when we were kids. Uh, we're not that far off in age. Um, so I definitely remember watching uh, computer screens go from that black and white or black and orange, whatever color they could afford on that monitor, into those gooey displays. Um, it was always so fascinating. And I, I can definitely relate to that because mm. it, it really just kind of like it got your imagination going into it. So like you said, you started earlier, you said that you're, you really got into computers because you're gaming a lot. What kind of games did you like? This tells a lot. I think the types of games you played as a kid tells a lot about the type of person you kind of like type of person you are or become. Mm -hmm. The the games we played as kids at, at the time always depended on the performance of, of the PC. Mm. Um, I remember. So I think we went from, 286 to 486 and that was like a whole new set of games that we could play and i think by that time maybe we had a cd-rom and that was like uh, again a whole like game changer but on dos uh, you know games like commander keen and a lot of platformers a lot of kid games that you could you know run and jump and shoot and it was before 3d really um racing games, arcade games, any sort of re, uh, revisioning of traditional arcade games for early PCs. I was always into those kinds of things, but um, that was a game. There was a game with tanks, Scorched Earth. Remember that one? Was that uh, the one where you like your little tank and then you can shoot like your projectiles at like yep. a certain angle to like hit your opponent's tanks was, on the other side? Yeah, and there was a wind. You had to compensate for wind. Yeah. And if you got a little bit of damage, you couldn't shoot as far. But if you won, you got money to upgrade your weapons. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, those are those are classic, classic DOS game memories. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely remember those. I remember playing those in school sometimes, too. They're a lot of fun. Um, and I think I grew up with a lot of... I grew up with similar games, but, like, slightly different ones. They're just they kind of like feed into how much you're playing your games, how much time you're spending on your computer because those text-based games, those early DOS games like your um, Oregon's Creek, those ones taught you how to run a command line and how to answer questions. Mm -hmm. Racing games, they taught you, like, actually I never played racing games. I know nothing about them because I hated them. Um, I was really bad at them, to be honest. But those types of games really just, I feel like because they get you into the computer, you're learning more about the technology itself and it kind of just like it, it, it kind of goes on from there because mm -hmm. so i always kind of find that interesting you know what? i forgot to mention one um huge 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 even genre of of life is the sim city the sim type of games uh, uh sim simulations yeah so classic sim city uh, where where you had just the basic controls for your city you had like three or four different property types police station fire department uh, and a school and that was it uh and then i remember playing i remember getting my hands on SimCity 2000 and that would have been around 1998 1999 um, we had it in school and we had it at home 
Ooh. And and you could do so many different things. You could name stuff. You could build tunnels and all kinds of different bridges. And I remember um, playing those those sim types of games for for a good chunk of my life. I and even today, um, we play those types of games on on mobile. Um, those games that take you a good long time to to get through and where your actions can kind of influence the outcome of the game. Does your city go broke? Does your city have a crime problem? Are your Sims, you know, PO'd because you, you don't have a fire department in their neighborhood? Um, I really like those kinds of games because, again, you're you're in the driver's seat and your actions are going to kind of determine what the outcome is. And maybe you don't win or lose right away. It's not like, you know, Mario, you fall in a hole and you die. You run out of lives, you got to start from scratch. Um, something like a sim game takes you a lot longer to to get into and and to play through, and uh, it's probably good good news for my parents because they didn't have to buy us new games all the time because we were constantly trying to make our city better and try to improve our understanding of the the mechanics of the game. How long until you start having to break out the cheat codes? I'm trying to re- I'm trying to remember. Uh, I remember in Doom and Quake, you got you had to have the cheat codes. Starcraft. Yeah, I used the cheat codes a lot in StarCraft. In SimCity, there was a way, yes, there was a way that you could get extra money and you could build way cool cities, but even then you didn't you didn't need to. That game was still fun enough that you didn't need the cheat codes. Oh, fair. I I never really got into SimCity. It was usually like I'd play it for maybe a couple of hours at a friend's place, maybe an hour, and then half the time would be spent like watching my friend play and then mm-hmm. they break out the chicos and like okay well this is kind of a waste um looking at how video games how people use the computers and when it came to us when we were kids games were just like a lot of our gateways into this tech and then i mean you learn how to use floppy disks you learn how to manage your hard drive like tell me you did not have to delete stuff off your computer hard drive your parents computer hard drive just to make room for another game yeah. Remember when defragging just solved all your problems? It yeah, yeah, a little bit. I remember that. <laughs> I'm like, once I discovered it, I'm like, oh my God, this is a game changer. And then it'd be like a week before my computer was basically like teetering on the edge of this like self-destruction. <laughs> one one last thought on video games, and you can you can move on to the next question, is I think our generation, so we we have siblings older than us, let's say. Uh, our generation was probably the first that grew up with, say, uh, console gaming, like uh, Nintendo and Sega and, and so on. I think our generation was the first that was like, yeah, you're young, just sit there and watch the older kids play. Isn't it ironic now how I think, so our generation is having kids and these kids now are so enthusiastic about watching other people play video games like look at how popular twitch is and look at how popular game streaming is online there's like this whole new culture of i just want to watch someone else play a video game it's just kind of funny where i i I remember i was one of the youngest cousins in the family and i was like all right you're the youngest you got to sit and watch the other kids play you know Bomberman or double dragon or whatever it was um it's just so funny now that my kids enjoy watching other people play video games. It's kind of funny. It's funny. And I think like we definitely started that because um, we had to um, 
you know, you only had two controllers and usually one of them was broken. So you'd have to just like watch your older sibling. I was the older sibling watching, making my younger siblings play or my friends play when they're at my house. And then, you know, their the favor was returned when I went to a friend's place. It was always kind of like, you're always doing it to each other. And I think that kind of built in that culture early on because mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be in that. I watch like, I have that sometimes playing in the background. So like a favorite game streamer of mine it's not like high focus entertainment it's kind of just like something happening in the background and somebody making fun commentary about it mm-hmm. what i didn't expect is that it would transcend a generation where our kids our next generation is really into it out of the gate where i don't actually need to buy the game to enjoy it i can watch someone else play it go through that emotional experience and i can enjoy the ride mm-hmm. it's it's kind of neat but considering like how many games there are out there these days like that might be the only way you'll ever get to experience a game so i thought that was cool uh let's let's move down the line um because we've got a lot of questions here a lot of like high hitting important questions that the world's been begging to know about you (laughs) so the rumor has it that you only own long sleeve button down collar shirts so my question is why do you hate the t-shirt industry (laughs) fake news it's fake news it's fake news okay i'll talk to my editor about that one um (laughs) so for those of you listening longtime fans of the show might know ryan is notorious formula one fan so what got you into formula one oh that's an awesome question so when my daughter was still a baby um she liked to wake up (laughs) at at you know, four, five, six uh, in the morning and and just hang out with daddy. And so we would wake up and, you know, I'd either wrap her up and she would sit on my legs or she would sit on my lap. And uh, I can remember there was nothing good on TV at that time other than the formula races that were, Formula One races that were happening uh, usually on the other side of the the planet. So, um, those races would be on really early in the morning and my daughter liked to get up really early in the morning. So we found something out of watching Formula One races. And then uh, I followed it for about a year or so on and off. And then it really got serious for me when I started learning more about the sport and learning more about the drivers and learning more uh go figure about the technology, all of the the tech that that sort of goes into developing a Formula One car and all the telemetry data and how that's sent back and, and processed in uh, in a cloud or in a private cloud and how the, the aerodynamic work uh, happens with these cars is really, really fascinating stuff. And then there's tons of drama and politics between the drivers and teams. So it's a little bit, you know, soap opera. Uh, like in that sense too so uh, what it's turned out for me is it's it's I'm, I'm all in on the sport now it's uh, it's really fun to follow the drivers the personalities the the teams and then yes the the technology and uh, how these things are changing over time as well so what I noticed is that you never actually talked about the races themselves so I guess that's at the bottom of the list oh the the, <laughs> the races yeah so the, the last few years and just to get up on my my Ferrari soapbox for a few minutes here is uh, the last few years, if anyone doesn't follow Formula One, has been dominated by a particular driver and a particular team uh, that are not Ferrari. Uh, and so um, 
you know, it's a lot of the same outcome. The, 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 the races are won by the same driver, the same team, or the same three or four drivers and the same two or three teams. Um, so sometimes that takes some of the excitement out of watching the race. Uh, but again, who doesn't love a good start? The first lap, there's so much tension. You're on the edge of your seats because the cars are packed so tight together when, when the lights go down. Um, crashes, yeah, you don't want to see them, but you kind of do want to see them. Um, you know, stuff happens with that. And then, you know, it's it's just good to uh, to sort of watch through a race, of, albeit lately with, with two kids now, I don't get the the focus, I don't get the time to focus on a race, um, but I'll, I'll still fast forward through the slow parts and, and, you know, check on who's changing position and ultimately who wins the race. And it's been a weird Formula One season this year with, with the pandemic, but um, nonetheless, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to 2021 season. Nice. So let's switch gears. We're going to talk about your work history, sir. Mm -hmm. You've made some pretty inflammatory statements about email in the past. <laughs> yes. So why do you hate email? I think email, email triggers us. Um, and, and I'm sure if I dug deep enough on the interwebs, I could find the study. I want to say it was done by Microsoft at some point in time where they hooked people up to, to um, body sensors and, and they studied the body's reaction to the ding, ding, when you get a new email in Outlook. And, um, you know, people's heart rate would, would sort of spike or people would start sweating a little bit if they saw the notification come in from, you know, someone or a boss or something. And, or relatable content. What's that? Relatable content. <laughs> so... For me, email takes me out of my focus time. Uh, I don't know there's ways to turn it off. And yeah, you could close the app and, and all of that. But um, what really gets me about email is the stuff that could, the stuff that doesn't need to be said or the responses that could have been a quick chat or the, the conversation via email. Oh my goodness, don't do that to me, don't please. Don't do that. Uh, it's, it's a waste and, and Hey, if someone on the other side's got spare time to reply back one, two word answers, Hey, that's fine. But I'm a busy guy. I like to keep moving forward. Uh, to me, seeing something come in, going to it, reading it, deciding what to do is, uh, it takes a little bit more time. It's a little bit more of a pothole for me. Fair enough. Your feelings towards email are echoed not only by myself, but, across many industries so I, I can definitely feel you let's take it let's take one more step back because right mm -hmm. now we're looking at this is ryan today this is ryan on his conquest to reduce the burden of email in your life in your workplace one smart app at a time one web product at a time one team's conversation at a time let's take a step back and look at how you got into this Microsoft world. Let's talk about, because he used to do Microsoft licensing, like product licensing for clients back in the day. Mm -hmm. So why do you enjoy punishing yourself like that? <laughs> well, because I hadn't ripped all my hair out with uh, with my earlier uh, career choices. Uh, no, um, to, to be honest. So my first job in tech was, I was an account manager for, uh, what they call a value-added reseller. 
And uh, the goal at, at that organization was to, to call up business uh, IT folks, business leaders, business owners, and sell them some technology. Uh, and, and what that turned into was, was really, really good relationships, uh, you know, that trusted advisor kind of role. I really like that because underneath it, I, I really like helping people. Uh, is something that I've I've found over years of business to business sales and and even some retail experiences. I just like helping people and I like talking to people and, and sharing stories and and getting to know people that way. Um, so at that first job at, at the uh, reseller, I got to sell a little bit of everything. Um, so it wasn't limited to just Microsoft. It was desktops, laptops, monitors, printers, toner, cables, services, all the whole nine yards, right? And and what that meant was I couldn't really be good at, at any one or two particular things. And so uh, the opportunity came up at that same organization to work for the Microsoft team, the Microsoft licensing team in particular. And, and I jumped on that opportunity because I really did want to sort of specialize and focus on um, just a number of things and, and be really good at that rather than a generalist. I thought that would uh, sort of pay dividends later on in, in my career. So took that opportunity and I learned so much about Microsoft, not just licensing, not just the, you need this many cows and this many cores. And if you want to do SQL on-prem, you got to do these things. That was right at the time of, uh, Azure coming to to fruition. That was right in the time where Office 365 was was gaining sort of huge leaps and bounds in Canada and particularly in Western Canada. Uh, so I was really fortunate to to land there right at the right time, where I could learn so much in a very short amount of time. I was exposed to so much in such a short amount of time, and I met so many awesome people. Uh, both at Microsoft and both, again, at, at customer organizations all across Canada and uh, within the, the company that I worked for. Um, so, I, again, I, I learned a lot. Yes, Microsoft licensing is frustrating at the best of times, but where where things were going with cloud licensing and software as a service, that was that was changing the emphasis on you needed to know so much more about licensing and the T's and C's and, you know, dotting the I's and, and all of that, uh, where it gave those people in the licensing realm the opportunity to specialize in product and in, in end applications or suites. So uh, I've always had a thing for Office 365. I've always had a thing for Teams since inception. I've always had a thing for Azure-based solutions. And then that bubbled up into uh, into my experience with Dynamics 365. So I don't I don't know if that's a question coming up. I don't want to jump the shark, but um, you know, putting putting all of those things together, um, being able to be on the partner side of Microsoft and seeing how that organization runs, uh, it's just fascinating. And I'm I haven't been bored since really. So I was thinking like, so why Microsoft? So why not Linux or Apple or, you know, your BlackBerry or Android or your Samsung DEXs? Why did, was your time working on the Microsoft product licensing kind of when you kind of really got into the Microsoft world and started sipping on the Kool-Aid or is there a time before that that got you into the Microsoft sphere? 
the funny thing is, so before I was in the technology sector, uh, I was, my friends will tell you, I was one of the biggest Apple fanboys around, you know, pre-sale this, you know, smash an iPhone, get a new one the next day kind of thing. Like I was, I was all in on that Apple ecosystem. Uh, when Windows... Wait, 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 you're, you're smashing iPhones so you can get a new one the next day? Well, it was an accident, but it, oh, it happened, sure it was. <laughs> it happened more than once. Let's just say that. Oh. Um, the 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 fellows at Rogers just saw me coming, like, oh yeah, he smashed another one. We can we can go up for dinner tonight, <laughs> fancy place. <laughs> no, um, what what changed it for me, or what brought Microsoft back into my world after again growing up on on DOS, growing up on Windows 3.1, growing up in Windows 98, and then eventually XP and through work and school using all of those things, uh, absolutely. But I had parked it for a bit when I was this big Apple fanatic. Uh, and that would have been right around the Windows Vista 7 era. And on the Mac side would have been around the Leopard it was before Leopard Tiger, Leopard era. Uh, but then Windows 8 came out. And Windows 8 was like this awesome new refreshed thing. It was going to be touch. And it was so colorful and live tiles. And that kind of jarred me back into looking again at, at into Windows. And that was when I got my first touchscreen um, Lenovo computer for, for my home office. And I was just taken by by all of that. So I sort of made the switch back to to Windows and uh, and then again, yeah, just by being around the tech um, as a as a reseller generalist, seeing the momentum that Microsoft had, and seeing the impact of the products on the end customers um, from from Microsoft, and then following technology just as a generalist, seeing that there was momentum there. Uh, this would have been probably right around the time Microsoft was doing the CEO change from uh, Steve Ballmer to Satya Nadella. Again, just being in tune with it and sort of finger on the pulse kind of thing. I knew that this was a really special place. And I knew that, um, you know, if I could jump on this bandwagon, that that it could be a really interesting ride. Well, it's interesting is the right term because it's always changing, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and and I mean, people, people will dump on Microsoft for, for whatever reason. And, and a lot of people still remember the Microsoft of the, the nineties, um, the, the antitrust Microsoft and, and yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, but that this company's come such a far direction from that. Um, there's a different imperative. It's, it's not just windows everywhere. It's, it's about changing the world with, with these interesting technologies. And that's where I think Microsoft relies on, on other people to take the tools that they make and go make the change. And that's where I'm happy to fit in as being that, that agent where I understand the tools and I can talk to people about their problems or their goals and be that matchmaker in the middle, if you will. That's kind of awesome too. Cause it, yeah, it kind of gives you a place to be creative. It gives you a place to really just like, try things out, solve new problems and, you know, old problems as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, very cool. Now let's take one more step back into your job history. This will be a bit of a wider step back. Um, what was your favorite job 
first job, favorite job out of high school? It could be one of the same if you want, but what's your favorite job since high school that you've had? Favorite job since high school? I haven't had many jobs. That's the thing. Um, so before I even left high school, before I was even done middle school, uh, I was working for my brother, like employee zero uh, for an organization that he started. When when I left that company, I think that was 14, 13, 14 years later, you know, we had upwards of 30 employees. We had all sorts of different retail locations and we had, you know, really amassed a pretty impressive uh, operation. Um, the Some of the favorite work that I did for that organization, just because it, it occupied so much of my working life, uh, was was the creative pursuits. It was around design, web design, graphic design. We um, I, I was tasked with packaging design and designing catalogs and flyers and publications and things like that. And uh, I did take a very interesting graphic design course in high school. Um, I don't think it was, I don't think it was, you know, an actual curriculum based course because we really didn't learn anything other than, you know, how to trick the teacher to let us go for a 20 minute coffee run uptown. It's a very useful uh, skill, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I was exposed to uh, the Corel graphics suite. I was exposed to vector graphics and that's really about it in that course. But it had inspired me and at least gave me somewhere to look when it come when it came time to to do that, um, you know, I self taught myself the Adobe Suite. I self taught myself a little bit about graphic design and video editing and those types of things. So, when those tasks came around to uh, to the business, where we said, "Okay, we can do this ourselves, or we can outsource it," um, I was more than happy to take those kinds of things on because it was a great creative outlet. It was it was fun. Uh, it was fun to push the envelope in design. It was fun to hide little secret messages and, you know, make fun of old high school friends in uh, in packaging design and things like that. Ooh, dirty. I like it. <laughs> so we've got about a minute left. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do is a lightning round of questions. All right. About 10 or so questions. Stretch your neck. Take some water, pound some, pound some Gatorade. Are you ready for this? Bring it on. All right. And let's go. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? Yes. No. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Mouse or trackpad? Mouse. Texting or calls? Calls. Pick a superpower, flight or invisibility? Dang. Uh, invisibility. First album you ever bought as a kid? Chumbo Wumba Tub Thumping. Favorite junk food or snack? Uh, salt. No, uh, sour cream and onion chips. Coffee or tea? Oh, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Favorite beer or spirit? Uh, cold beer. <laughs> Any cold beer? Does that count? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Time's up. Did awesome. Uh, what do you win? A new car. A new no? something. Stay tuned next week to find out what that is, folks. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Ryan. It's a lot of fun. I'm out of questions. Um, so I think I think we'll wrap up this episode of the Mo Show. This is our second behind the mic. We got to know got to learn a little bit about you and 
your passions about what you do today, uh, your history coming up to that, and your weird obsession with Formula One that I'll never understand. It's all great. It's all great. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So I uh, thank you again, everyone, for joining this episode of The Moa Show. Um, if you like this episode, as always, make sure you uh, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you give us a little review or a rating. You can also find us on the Clear Concepts YouTube channel. We'll have links in the show notes for everything where you can also find Ryan and I on social media. Mr. Ryan, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes, you too. Take care, everyone. Bye now. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mobo Show podcast. Thank you again so much for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to follow and rate us on your favorite podcasting app. My name is Alex Henry, and on behalf of Ryan Bialik, myself, and the amazing staff at Clear Concepts who helps make this show possible, take care. <laughs>